What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Boy, a lot going on in the world. The president spoke to the nation. He basically is asking for $33 billion to assist Ukraine. A half a billion dollars of that. He wants to send to American farmers because Ukraine supplies about 10% of the world's wheat. And that ain't happening this year. And he wants to head off food shortages. Of course, that's also adding to inflation. And whether the Republicans are going to try to sink it just for partisan purposes or whether they're going to be on board with this, just an FYI. By the way, Biden says he wants $20 billion in military assistance for Ukraine, eight and a half in economic assistance, $3 billion for humanitarian aid, and then, as I said, a half a billion for American farmers. I want to talk about how Republicans planned to end democracy with martial law. That is the ultimate big government. We'll get to that in just a moment. And according to a new report, Medicare Advantage plans are frequently denying needed care. I'll tell you about that. And also, an Ohio lawmaker is telling us now that pregnancy from rape, regardless of how young you might be, is a great opportunity. What? (laughs) We'll talk about that. So there's a lot coming up. But I want to start with my rant today from HartmanReport.com. It's titled, Republicans Planned to End Democracy with Martial Law, the Ultimate Big Government Program. And, you know, I point out that some people think that the Republican Party has gone nuts. In reality, they've simply reached the logical endpoint toward which they have been moving for 62 years now, which is fascism. You know, Barry Goldwater trash-talked big government in the 1960 campaign against Jack Kennedy for president of the United States. This has been the Republican Party's major talking point. Really, since the 60s, they put it, Nixon wasn't so big on this stuff. He was more about, you know, the war on drugs and the war on Vietnam. But in 19, starting in 1981, when Ronald Reagan was installed, the 1980 election, the Republican Party has become the ultimate big government party. And now we're learning that Republicans in Congress, uh, we get this from this text message that Marjorie Taylor Greene sent to, to uh, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff for the president. She said that she had talked with a bunch of people inside the Republican caucus, other Republicans, and they all agreed that you've got to declare martial law. Well, I'm sorry, you can't define a big government program that's bigger than locking down an entire country by declaring martial law. It is the ultimate big government program. 
And, you know, while there is not a martial law provision in law in the United States under those, you know, using those words, there are five different pieces of law that were passed between 1792 and 1871. This is uh, uh, sections 251 through 255 of Title 10 that basically can produce the same result. One part of this gives the president the power to shut down or seize communication systems. So, you know, Trump or a future president, DeSantis, could, sh could shut down all the television or radio stations in the country or seize control of them, or Twitter or Facebook and seize control of them and tell them how to, how to behave. Cell phone providers, all these kinds of things, number one. Number two, the president would have, and this is, again, this is what Republicans were telling Trump to do, and he damn near did freeze or seize the assets of individual citizens or organizations, including nonprofit corporations like, hey, the Democratic Party, or to create, or and to create a federal police force. This is also in Title 10, that the president, if he declares this with a simple executive order, he doesn't need Congress to do any of these things, can then create a federal police force that he can deploy nationwide that is answerable only to himself. Now, if there is a historic echo there in your mind about this, it's the Schutzstaffel, the SS, which was the, you know, the federal police force that was answerable only to Hitler. This is, you know, this is nothing new, but it's, it would be new for America. It sure would. So how did the Republicans get from Barry Goldwater to this point? Well, pretty straightforward stuff. The big lie, up until Trump's big lie that he had an election stolen from him, the big lie uh, has been since 1960 that the Republicans are the party of small government. When in fact, Republican presidents have expanded the government faster than most other, you know, most Democratic presidents consistently. They have exploded the national debt. We've talked about that with the whole two Santa Claus thing over the years. Um, and when they talk about shrinking government, like we need to deregulate or we need to get government out of, your, out of your life and out of your business, what they're really talking about is cutting back on pollution controls so that giant corporations can make more money, cutting back on forestry management practices so that they can cut old growth forests and clear cut uh, areas, producing you know, problems of uh, downstream pollution and, and landslides, all kinds of problems. Um, when their donors in the health insurance or pharmaceutical or hospital industries want to use their power of life or death over Americans to extract maximum prices and, uh, pr prices and profits, they start yelling about, keep your government hands off my Medicare, right? I mean, this is, this is when their billionaire friends wanted to monopolize radio and television. Oh, yeah, let's uh, end oppressive big government regulations, like the Fairness Doctrine. Um, I mean, it's just step by step, whether, you know, when the big airlines and big ag and big pharma and all these other big industries wanted to basically clean the floor of their smaller, medium sized and small competition. In 1983, Reagan said, that's cool. We're going to stop enforcing the Sherman Antitrust Act. This is not this is not small government stuff. This is this is Republicans using government to help themselves and their wealthy friends. And now these Republican advocates of small government are trying to tell us that not only did they try to pull the ultimate big government trick, which is martial law, in January of 2021, just three days before Joe Biden was supposed to come into office, 
That was when they wanted to do this. This is long after January 6th, long after the election, three days before Biden was sworn into office. Marjorie Taylor Greene is texting the, the president's chief of staff saying, we Republicans think he, that Trump needs to declare martial law now. But in addition to that, what are the other things these small government Republicans want the government to do? They want to narrow your right to vote. They want to imprison women seeking abortions. They want to ban books. They want to block efforts to green our energy sector. They want to harass trans and gay kids. They want to prevent minorities from having full representation in Congress. They want to turn school boards into inquisitors. They want to let utilities rip off solar customers. They want to trash public health. They want to put more guns in the hands of deranged mass shooters. They want to purge voting rolls of Democrats and minorities. They want to preempt local communities from protecting their own environment. They want to reduce the accountability of police for violent behavior. They want to ban gay marriage. They want to allow state legislatures to overturn the will of the voters in elections. They want to keep students in debt. They want to hand Medicare over to the big insurance companies. They want to increase hundreds of billions of dollars a year in taxpayer subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. They want to terrorize refugee children. They want to eliminate or turn most national parks into drilling and mining sites. They want to end environmental protections. They want to thwart enforcement of food safety laws, and they want to destroy workers' rights to union representation. And there's probably a few things in there that I didn't think of when I was writing this up uh, yesterday afternoon and this morning. And now we have a bunch of Republicans, a sizable number of congressional Republicans who actually wanted Trump to do, you know, martial law. I mean, and, and over at the Pentagon, by the way, and again, you know, three days before Biden is supposed to come into office over at the Pe Pentagon, Cash Patel is refusing to cooperate with the Democrats transition team. Was that because they expected to use the military to hold on to power to keep Trump in office? I mean, I don't know, but uh, this is what Courtney Kuby and Carol Lee were reporting on NBC News back in January of 2021. Quote, a Trump loyalist who was recently appointed as Pentagon chief of staff is controlling the Biden transition team's access to Pentagon officials, even blocking some career officials and experts from giving information about key defense issues to the transition team and telling political appointees to take the lead instead. So it's like, what do you call this? You call this fascism. And I'm telling you, you know, this, this coming election, the coming presidential election in 2024, the 2020 election, the, the, the attempt to overthrow that election was merely a dry run. 2024 is the real prize here, the end of democracy in America. And they may well do it with Ron DeSantis instead of Donald Trump. It doesn't matter. We need Congress to change the laws so that presidents cannot do this kind of thing. Because if Ron DeSantis becomes president in 2024, we will no longer be a democracy in 2025. These guys have all, I mean, you know, he's showing us in Florida what he's going to do, what he wants to do, and how he wants to do it. Down in Florida, for example, the citizens said, we'd like uh, the minimum wage increase. And he was like, no way. So they got a citizen's petition together, a citizen's initiative, and a bunch of people signed it, and they got it on the ballot, and the people of Florida said, yes, let's raise the minimum wage. Same thing with letting ex-felons vote. Same thing with blocking cruise ships from Key West because of the environmental uh, sensitivity of the area. Again, the people voted for these things. DeSantis just signed a law 
saying you can't do this anymore. No more citizen initiatives. Fascism is on the horizon and we need to get ready for it and Congress needs to get ready for it because that's the end point of the system that Barry Goldwater put into place in 1960. Even though he didn't become president, he defined the course of the Republican Party through Goldwater, then Nixon, then Reagan, and of course, you know, both Bushes and Trump. I've got to tell you about what the, the Medicare Advantage plan. This is bizarre. Uh, the New York Times is reporting. You won't see this on television, though. I guarantee you. John in Santa Rosa, California. Hey, John, thanks for watching this on YouTube. What's up? Yeah, good morning, Tom. Hey, uh, God bless you, man. I love you. Thank you. I, uh, I just heard uh, something that scared the hell out of me on Lawrence O'Donnell, that uh, if the Republicans bring, get back the House, they could actually elect Donald Trump as Speaker of the House. That's correct. The Constitution, uh, well, neither the Constitution nor U.S. law specify that the Speaker of the House has to be a member of the House. And, uh, man, if you take that a step further, there's some crazy people out there. That puts our uh, president and vice president at a real target. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If the president and vice president were both to be assassinated or both to get some, you know, terribly sick or something like that, number three in line is the Speaker of the House, and that would be Donald Trump. And, yeah, this is, this is a big thing among Republicans is make Trump the Speaker of the House and then let Kevin McCarthy do all the work. So Trump has the title. Kevin McCarthy does the job. He he's already dancing to Trump's tune, and yeah, right. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a, and I think frankly that you know they're not thinking about hey let's assassinate the president or something like that. I think that they're thinking let's impeach the president, which they would absolutely do. Um, oh it, God, I didn't think of that. Yeah, Jeez. impeach both the president and the vice president at the same time and make Donald Trump president of the United States and, you know, do it three months after the election. I mean, it's, 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 oh my God. it's entirely possible. It's, it's, uh, it's unlikely, but it's entirely possible. These guys are flat out screaming nuts, uh, John. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Thanks a lot for the call. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind this morning? Uh, yeah, merger mania is on my mind, and merger mania has never stopped since it got going, I would say, maybe back in the mid-70s. No, it, well, uh, it, it, it was starting there, but it was in 1983 when, when Ronald Reagan directed the Department of Justice mm -hmm. and the Securities and Exchange Commission and the uh, federal, uh, there's another federal agency that regulates mergers. He directed all of them to stop enforcing the antitrust laws, and nobody has gone back yeah. to using them since then. Well, I remember it was sometime in the mid-70s, and I wrote a, a, a term paper about this when I was in college at two different schools, by the way, but that's another story. Some steel company, I don't know if it was Bethlehem, bought a food company, might have been Nabisco, and, you know, it had me scratching my head like, why is a steel company buying a firm that they know nothing, you know, they don't, mm -hmm. they don't you know, make food or produce food. What's that about? And, you know, of course, it's about uh, money, uh, money procuring more money. Yeah, that's an uh, acquisition, making, not a merger. But, yeah, spot on, Dennis. Yeah. So, you know, it's just continued on since. And, you know, here's Elon Musk, the head of Tesla. So here's a car company basically buying a social media company. Yep. So nothing's changed. It just continues. And I have to say this. It's, it's given free enterprise, a.k.a. capitalism, 
a huge black eye yeah. because we, we, you know, so many industries you have now oligarchies and monopolies, very few corporations in an industry. And so, you know, the wages, the prices, everything else, it's bad for the consumer and it's bad for the worker. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with free enterprise, but there's something wrong with it when it becomes so corrupted as it has been. Right. It's just like uh, there's nothing wrong with football, but if you don't have rules, it's no fun to play. And <laughs> that's, exactly. what's, that's what's going on here. Dennis, thanks a lot for the call. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Okay, this Medicare news, when I mentioned this just before the break, I said I was going to talk about this after the break, that I said you won't see this on television, I guarantee you. Well, I can't guarantee it, but it's the kind of thing that I would bet money on. <laughs> now, maybe it'll get covered, but if it does get covered on television, it'll be the minus, most minor, little tiny scratch-the-surface coverage because television is, is literally taking hundreds of millions of dollars a year from the for-profit health insurance industry for Medicare Advantage advertising. So they're not going to tell you about this, but let me tell you about it. This is actually in today's New York Times, which is not funded by the health insurance industry. This is a piece by Reed Abelson. This is from a new report that just came out from the Inspector General's Office of HHS, Health and Human Services. Every year, tens of thousands of people, Reed Abelson writes, enrolled in private Medicare Advantage plans are denied necessary care that should be covered, according to federal investigators in a, a report published today. These private insurance plans cover 28 million older Americans, 
The new report from the Inspector General's office lays this out. Tens of millions of denials are issued each year for prior authorization and reimbursements. See, here's the difference. I'm on regular Medicare. I just call up my doctor and say, I want to see you. And he says, cool. I go in. Everything's covered. He says, you need to go out there and get an MRI. I go out and get the, everything's covered. If you're on Medicare Advantage, these privatized plans, your doctor has to call the insurance company and beg for you to be able to get that MRI. And if he, you know, et cetera, et cetera, or she. So they go on to say, Advantage plans also refuse to pay legitimate claims, according to the report. 18% of payments were denied despite meeting Medicare coverage rules. An estimated 1.5 million payments for all of 2019. The plans also ignored prior authorizations and other things like that. They talk about this 87-year-old Holocaust survivor in Indianapolis has kidney and heart conditions. He's enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan from Humana. In spite of recommendations from his doctor, Humana has repeatedly denied authorization for inpatient rehabilitation after hospitalization, saying, oh, no, he's a healthy guy, healthy 87, right? So far, he's lost his appeals, and his relatives are choosing to pay for the private care privately while they're begging the insurance company. This is what happens when you get on Medicare Advantage. They note in the article, the federal government pays private insurers a fixed amount per patient, and therefore the private plans have, quote, the potential incentive for insurers to deny access for services and payment in an attempt to increase their profits. Gee, what a surprise. The stories are just horrific. I mean, they actually have some of the patient's stories here in this New York Times piece. The headline, Medicare Advantage plans often deny needed care, federal report finds. A state legislator in Ohio is trying to tell the good citizens of Ohio that when women are raped and get pregnant, that's a wonderful opportunity. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I'll pick up your calls. You're listening to Tom Hartman. In Ohio, State Representative Gene Schmidt, Republican, testified in favor of a so-called trigger bill. Now, these trigger bills, they're, they're being passed by Republican-controlled states all across the country. And what a trigger bill says is, the day that the Supreme Court strikes down Roe v. Wade, abortion is illegal in our state. And this bill not only bans abortion, it bans pills that can cause abortion, and bans like morning after pills, and arguably could be the first step toward banning all hormonal birth control, which is in the target in the crosshairs of many of these folks, including the Catholic Church, that has been pushing this for years and years and years. So this is what uh, Gene Schmidt says, getting pregnant by your rapist is actually an opportunity. Uh, Let me give you the actual quote. She says, rape is difficult, but if a baby is created, it is a human life. It is a shame that it happens, but there's an opportunity for that woman And then she puts this really weird thing at the very end, because, you know, many states have exceptions for rape or incest, and with incest, it's often children, very young teenagers or, well, even preteens, getting pregnant. And so at the very end, she says, it's a shame that happens, but there's an opportunity for that woman, no matter how young or old she is. She could choose to give that child to a loving family member or give it to someone else. Yeah. No matter how young she is. I recall a caller to this program a couple of days ago who said that she was in her 40s 
And for her, abortion, the issue of abortion is a health issue, a health care issue, because if she gets pregnant and in her 40s, she has a radically higher chance of dying from the pregnancy than you know, from anything else, including an abortion. This is health care. And I'm, I'm surprised that there's not an army of women in their 40s and 50s out there who, who, could, be, who could get raped or who could become pregnant and you know, if their husbands have not had a vasectomy or something like that, who are, who are not out like marching in the... This is, this is health care. But from the Republican point of view, oh, no, 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 you're a woman. We own you. We, the state. We, the, the small government Republican state. That's really the big government Republican state. Okay, let's pick up your phone calls here. Richie. Richie Z in Chicago. Hey, Richie Z, what's on your mind today? Number one, I want to thank you for what you do, telling the truth and everything else. A while back, I'm a longtime listener. A while back, you know, they bombard you with these advantage programs, and they tell you what you want to hear, but it's not the truth. At the same time where I was contemplating maybe switching, I was listening to you, and you had uh, a program devoted to why not to switch, and I didn't. But I have a friend of mine here in uh, Downers Grove, Illinois, that had his leg amputated back in May of last year. And he has the Advantage plan, and they still have, and they won't pay to have skin grafting done for an amputated leg. Oh, my God. Oh, my it's God. It's a true story. I mean, it's really going on. So uh, He's got to be in incredible pain if he needs skin grafts. Well, his skin is finally starting to grow back, but he's still got uh, the size of a quarter, a wound. And they're telling them, don't let it dry out, don't do this, don't do that. The, you know, the hospital and the doctors, they want it to naturally heal. If he gets a scab on it, it's not going to be done right. So right. he's been walking around with an open wound for almost a year now. Because he has a Medicare Advantage plan that won't pay for the skin graft. That's mind-boggling. Correct. R Correct. Yeah. Richie, thanks a lot for the call. I, I, I appreciate it. And thanks for your kind words. Teresa in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Teresa, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I loved your list about the so-called small government Republicans. Right. And, you know, nothing makes my blood boil more when people say they're Republicans because they like limited government. I just, duh. But I wanted to add something to your list. Most Republicans are in favor of the death penalty. Oh, you're right. They're not right-to-life people. They're, they're put-them-to-death people. Well, and, you know, is there anything more big government, more intrusive into one's personal freedom and liberty than to have the government kill you? Right, right. <laughs> Teresa, thank you. That is brilliant. I will add that to my list. I, I am in your debt. <laughs> thank you, okay, Teresa. Thanks, Tom. Yep, great okay, talking bye. to you. Phil in Brookings, South Dakota. Hey, Phil, uh, I, I'm guessing you're jumping off of the uh, Republicans' effort. Yeah, we've got six or seven Republican senators who want to pass a law making it illegal for Biden to forgive any student debt whatsoever. Yes. I don't think that you're going to lose Democratic votes. You're going to lose Democratic votes kids, if you forgive my, student debt. Yeah, my two kids are working. Why should they pay for somebody to get a college degree that isn't guaranteed a job? Because it's an investment in society. We learned after World War II, when we had about a 14-year experiment with the GI Bill, 
that every dollar we invest in college education, for in this case it was mostly young men coming back from World War II, that every dollar we invested during the lifetime of that person returned seven dollars in revenue, in a revenue that wouldn't have existed, into the federal coffers. Seven dollars in additional tax revenue back to the federal government for every one dollar invested in education because people with an education make so much more than people who don't. Now, you're right, not everybody gets a wonderful job, but the fact of the matter is that the explosion of innovation that happened in the United States in the 1970s and the 1980s, the development of the transistor, the integrated circuit, putting men on the moon, the, all that stuff came out of America going from having a very small percentage, and forgive me for not remembering the numbers, but it was, uh, my recollection is it was under 10% of Americans who were college educated prior to World War II, to going to having a very substantial fraction of Americans who were college educated. I believe it was over 15% after World War II, but again, don't use those numbers, because I'm just, you know. But we had this dramatic increase in college educated people by the 60s as a result of the GI Bill, and that's what put America, that's what made America number one. So why, you know, this is the, you talk about investing in infrastructure, the intellectual infrastructure of a country is its most important infrastructure because everything else flows from that. You can't build buildings if you don't have college-educated architects. You can't make steel if you don't have people who, yeah, I mean, it just goes on and on and on every, at every step along the way. So, Phil, why would you want to kneecap your own country? Every other democracy in the world provides free college or something very close to free college to everybody in the country. Literally every other one except us. Why do you want to continue to kneecap America? How are they going to pay for it? Pay for what? They're they're dead. They're loans. You just take it off the books. It's the federal government. Just wipe it off, right? Yeah, the federal government has the ability to do that. We did did that with trillions of dollars in debt from the the banks back in in 2008. Oh, okay. I'm I'm sorry, Phil. If I'm if I'm going off, if you if it sounds like I'm attacking you, um, I I get from your tone of voice. I'm not a Republican. Believe me. The penny just dropped, Phil. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Here's here's the deal. Back in 2008, when George Bush ran the economy into the ground and the banksters robbed us blind and, and we ended up, you know, the banks ended up over a trillion dollars in debt. The, the federal government assumed over a trillion dollars of those debts and just wrote it off. We, you know, and it didn't hurt the economy. In fact, if anything, it stimulated the economy because once people were out of debt, they could do things with that. So that's the story, Phil. And, and forgive me for, for being a little more emphatic than I should have been. I thought I was talking to a Republican. I appreciate your call and I appreciate your asking these questions because these are the questions that need to be discussed in the, in the, uh, in the public venues. Kurt in Akron, Ohio. Hey, Kurt, what's on your mind today? Hey, first of all, damn, being from Ohio, I didn't realize it was going to be that easy to make my wife my personal property. Oh, indeed. Yeah, I shouldn't laugh. It's 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 really no, tragic. No, I shouldn't have made a funny joke about yeah. that either. That's a serious thing, and yeah. I feel ashamed to be living in a state that would have a trigger bill like that. Yeah. Um, and sorry I didn't answer right away. I was answering a text from my niece who was learning about Kent State this week and was asking some questions, oh, which, yeah. by the way, that's next week that that's That's happening. right. So, it's in, that was in May. It was like May 4th, wasn't it? Something like that? It was Next Wednesday will be the 52nd anniversary, and thank goodness they're finally able, after two years, at Kent State, able to do um, in-person commemorations. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a, a major turning point for people of our generation, Kurt. And so, I'll tell you what, 
I did a great deep dive on that, and I thank Tom Hartman for giving me that opportunity and intellect to go and do a deep dive on that very subject. But anyway, the reason I called was um, your one caller said that if Trump were to be Speaker of the House and then you said something about, well, all they have to do is impeach uh, Biden and Harris after three months after the election, and then he'll be president again. Well, that's all fine and dandy. But he can be; they can be impeached in the House, but they're never going to get sixty-seven votes in the Senate to I remove. Agree. I agree, but they're going to try. I mean, this uh, or, or this is their fantasy. This is the fantasy, and this and for, for people who didn't hear the earlier caller, somebody called in and said, "I'm hearing that the Republicans want to make Trump Speaker of the House. Can they do that?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, as, as long as he's never been impeached, so and he's never been prosecuted under the Fourteenth Amendment, so he can still hold public office. The Speaker of the House doesn't have to be a member of the House." And right. so they could make Trump Speaker of the House. And the Speaker of the House is number three in line for the presidency. So if you impeach the president and vice president at the same time and, you know, you do it just, say, a year from now um, or less, then the Speaker of the House becomes president. And but that's the, not entirely true. But that's not entirely true, because as you pointed out during the Trump impeachments, the impeachment in the House, which is what it is, that's the impeachment. That's like the grand jury suggesting right. that the trial go to court where the Senate is the court where you are yeah, convicted right. or acquitted. So right. therefore, they can be impeached all they want every day of the week for the next two years. You're absolutely right, but Carl. As long or as they're Kurt, not convicted. Me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and But, but the, the, the twist here is, you know, yeah, this is the sales pitch. This is, the, this is the, the, the foaming fantasy on the right wing, and they're talking about it on right wing talk radio all the time. Um, that, and they're banking know. on the fact that people don't know civics and that impeachment exactly. means you're, well, because, it, because I have people say, well, Trump was never impeached. I said, yes, he was. And I said, I'm a Clinton supporter, and I believe that Bill Clinton was impeached. But by your definition, you're saying that he wasn't. Right, so, oh, but no, he was not convicted. Was right, but, but, but let me make oh, my no, point Clinton here if impeached. I can. If Kevin McCarthy becomes Speaker of the House or another Trump humper, you're going to see Donald Trump as Speaker of the House not literally, not in name. I mean, it's possible that they'll do that just to satisfy the crazies in their base. Pulling and like you say, right, he's not going to become president. But he's going to be the functional president or speaker. He's going to be the guy telling Kevin McCarthy what to do. He's going to be the puppet master. Yeah, as he is right now to a large extent. And, you know, now we're seeing, I mean, there was all this talk just last week about how these Trump endorsements are not going to do anything in Ohio and Pennsylvania. Looks like they're actually working. That the base. God, I hope, is, and I'll tell you something real quick, and then I'll let you go. If I have to have a Republican governor, I'd rather be Mike DeWine than Jim Renacci. Yeah. Well, De- DeWine is one of those, quote, rational Republicans, but he's still, you know, is terrible on the environment, on labor, on, on civil rights, on human rights, uh, on and on it goes. Kurt, thanks a lot for the call from Ohio, from Akron. Here on the Tom Hartman program, the place where despair is not an option. We'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. 
Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Today is the 30th anniversary of the L.A. riots that followed the beating a year earlier of Rodney King by four LAPD cops. It was videoed by a bystander, George Holliday. And on the line with us is Joe Garner. He's a media historian, six-time New York Times best-selling author, writer-producer of We Interrupt This Broadcast. Before it was history, it was news. GarnerCreative.com. Joe Garner, author, is his Twitter handle. Joe, welcome to the program. Tell us how the, uh, well, first of all, KTLA was, yes. you know, kind of who brought this to the world or certainly to the country. Tell us about that time and, and the decisions that they had to make. Right. Uh, courageous decisions. Tom, it's nice to talk to you. What had happened was a gentleman by the name of George Holliday had been playing with a gift that he had just received from his girlfriend, a Valentine's gift, actually. He shot some video of his girlfriend and a little bit of her daughter. And then all of a sudden there was a commotion outside and he looked outside and he was witnessing a gentleman being beaten mercilessly by LAPD officers. So he took that brand new video camera and took a minute and 38 seconds of that beating. Then the next day he called on a Sunday, he called uh, CNN and nobody took his call. So being a fan of KTLA, the local uh, television station, news station there in Los Angeles, he called them and said, I'm going to drop a tape off at your uh, at your gate, which he did. They warned Serengino, who was the news director at the time, retrieved the tape, took it into his office, brought in his editor, Tony Cote. They watched it and they were horrified. And they knew that they had three choices. One, sit on it, do nothing with it, which they knew they couldn't do. Two, handed off to the LAPD, again, knowing what the LAPD was like at the time, were concerned that it would ever see the light of day, or three, which is what they opted to do, which was to air it in their news, not to exploit it, not to lead with it, but to air it and let the chips fall. And um, it resulted in, in what it resulted in, which was lighting a fuse in Los Angeles. Yeah, it was uh, the George Floyd before George Floyd. I mean, the, how has yeah, media exactly. changed? And the role of individual citizen journalists changed in the 30 years since then? Well, I think that that's it. I think it's the fact that now everybody has the capacity to be a video journalist. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, there are courageous people like Daniela Frazier. You know, tragically, George Holliday's video didn't result in the same decisive action that Darnella's did. But still, it deputized every citizen to be able to, if they see something, say something. And it has had a dramatic effect. Yeah. Joe, it's fascinating stuff. And I, I really appreciate you dropping by and talking with us about it. Well, it was my pleasure, Tom. It's, uh, it's, an important, you know, it's important that we remember significant historical events like this. Or as the cliche goes, we're 
we're bound to repeat it, and tragically, we have. So, oh, and sadly, we do, we do tend to continue to repeat it. There you go. Joe Garner, yeah. Joe, uh, GarnerCreative.com, Joe Garner Author dot, uh, or on Twitter is the, the Twitter handle. Joe, thanks a lot. Great talking with you. Great, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. I do want to share with you, and I'll get through that very quickly, and then I'll be picking up your phone calls. This is titled, Connecticut Offers Refuge to Red State Women with a Fugitive Woman Act. You can find it over at HartmanReport.com. And it's basically, you know, in Texas now, Oklahoma just passed a Texas kind of law, arguably even a little more restrictive. So if you're a 12-year-old girl in Texas who's been raped and impregnated, or the husband of a 50-year-old Oklahoma woman who's at a higher risk of death from pregnancy after the failure of birth control, really your only option right now is to move to Canada. And that's because individual states in the United States generally enforce the court judgments of other states. And so, you know, if, if you don't want to pay that 10000 I mean, if you, if, you, if you flee Texas to avoid a $10,000 judgment and go to pretty much any other state, they'll just, you know, find you and, and uh, seize your property, seize your assets, and use that to pay off that judgment. If you go to Canada, though, it's less likely to happen because in Canada, abortion is 100% legal at all stages of pregnancy. There's not even the three trimesters and we're going to regulate that. Nothing. Right? It's, it's totally between a woman and her physician. Period. And not only that, abortion is free in Canada. It's paid for by Canadian Medicare, which everybody in Canada has. So Canada probably is not going to extradite a woman for getting an abortion and is not going to seize her or her family's assets. Ellie Meistahl over at The Nation makes a, just an eloquent argument. There's a link to it in my article. Um, uh, suggesting that what's going on right now with uh, women in the United States may end up being sort of like what happened in the United States in, in, the eight, in 1850 when the Fugitive Slave Act was passed. And, you know, slavery had been outlawed in Canada in 1834, and then the Fugitive Slave Act, which forced, I mean, it wasn't the first, but it was the most decisive, forced in, you know, the northern states to capture enslaved humans who, who had fled the South and repatriate them back to the South. Um, what that did is it shifted the locus of the Underground Railroad to Canada. And, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of, of black Canadians now who are the descendants of those people who use the, the Underground Railroad. And in a short time, though, so Canada is the logical place for women who are trying to escape the handmaiden, the handmade states is what I'm calling them, these red states. We have 26 states now that are planning on criminalizing or financializing abortion um, if Roe v. Wade gets struck down. But Connecticut has come up with a new law. Now, the, it, it's passed the House of Representatives. It, it has, it's waiting for action by the Senate. Ned Lamont, the governor of Connecticut, has said that he will sign the act, the bill. I'm calling it the Fugitive Woman Act. Uh, they have a, a long and wonky name for it. Um, but it would guarantee girls and women who come to Connecticut absolute medical privacy. So nobody would be able to determine if they got an abortion. It would, abs it would absolutely in refuse to enforce any abortion-related financial judgments from other states, which is huge. I've never heard of any state doing this, you know, basically opting out of this whole system. And it would, and Connecticut would refuse to arrest or deport women or family members 
who are accused of criminal abortion law violations in the 26 red handmade states and uh, you know that are uh, preparing for the surpassing it. it passed the connecticut house two weeks ago and has gone to the senate the family institute of connecticut which is a you know a right-wing anti-abortion group or forced pregnancy group i suppose you should call it uh, is complaining that the law creates quote a safe harbor a safe harbor excuse me for for women and their families who quote violate abortion laws in other states and that, according to State Representative Mike, or Matt Blumenthal, who is the principal author of this legislation, is exactly what they're trying to do. He said, I, I think one important point about the bill that we're talking about today is that it is purely defensive. The only way that it comes into effect is if another state tries to impose their laws on us. So, you know, we're rapidly seeing a bifurcation in America between handmade states and free states. And... In the handmade states, you see the culture wars amping up on uh, matters like gay, trans, immigration, and abortion rights, and pocketbook issues like the minimum wage and Medicaid and the right to unionize. Uh, this, this bifurcation, this, this separation is getting more and more visible. And the only thing that could put, you know, that, that could uh, blow up what Connecticut is up to is federal legislation which is exactly what Representative Ileana Ross-Layton Ross is proposing, the Republican from Florida. She's pushing the so-called Child Interstate Abortion Notification Act that would bring the FBI in if Connecticut tries to offer, uh, you know, asylum to somebody. The zeal of these Republicans to control women should never, ever be underestimated. Over 25 states now have gone after and tried to prosecute women for having miscarriages. Like down in Alabama, when uh, Marsha Jones, 27-year-old African-American woman, uh, who was five months pregnant, was shot in a fight and caused her to miscarry her five-month-old uh, fetus, and Alabama wanted to put her in prison, not the man who shot her. Multiple states, including Missouri and Mississippi right now, have or are considering bans on the sailor possession of birth control pills. Mississippi, excuse me, Missouri is going after morning after pills, and Mississippi and Missouri are both uh, considering outlawing hormonal birth control pills because they say it causes abortions before pregnancy, or words to that effect. I mean, this is, this, like, remember when Mike Pence was proposing basically a statewide registry in Indiana for, for women's periods, and it, it started this whole periods for Pence thing where women, it was a giant Facebook site. And where women were reporting, you know, their, my period started, uh, Governor, you can just relax now for another 30 days. It was very funny. This is not funny anymore. And after the Supreme Court slices and dices Roe v. Wade, and we're going to get that decision within a month or two, uh, expect the federal government to try to get into the act if Republicans seize control of Congress this fall. Now, we'll still have two years where we've got a president with a veto pen. But if they take the whole enchilada in 2024, it's going to get real ugly real fast for women in the United States and their families. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threaten Us 
and our democracy. This is from the introduction, titled The Big Picture of Social Control Versus Democracy. This book deals with two very large and often amorphous concepts, privacy and surveillance in the context of government and the marketplace. Both concepts have undergone changes over the millennia of recorded human history, and those changes have dramatically sped up and expanded over the past few centuries, starting with the widespread use of the printing press in the mid to late 15th century, when books and newspapers began to proliferate across Europe, and in the rest of the civilized world by the end of the 17th century, civilized in quotes. The development of radio, television, and the internet in the 20th century heightened the need to define more clearly what both concepts meant and how they applied both to governments, the public sector, and to individual and corporate players, the private sector. The thought police and big brother are terms introduced into the popular lexicon by George Orwell in his novel 1984. Big Brother was the overweening, all-powerful government of Orwell's novel. And the thought police were those who managed to burrow so deeply into every citizen's behavior, speech, and even thoughts that they could control or punish behavior based on the slightest deviations from orthodoxy. Orwell was only slightly off the mark. Big Brother types of government and thought police types of social control are now widespread in the world and incompatible with democracy, as I'll show in more detail later in the book. Most concerning for Americans and citizens of other democratic nations, in quote, the mentality of both has heavily infiltrated both American government and corporate sectors, reaching so deeply into the day-to-day -day details of our lives that the techniques and technologies they use can and do not only control, but predict our behavior. The goals of those who violate privacy and use surveillance is almost always social control and behavior modification. Setting aside pure voyeurism, these are the areas where money is made, power is accumulated, and political or business goals are reached. And whether they are of government or of corporate big brother, the goals are largely the same and consistent with those just mentioned. Secrets are now for government and giant corporations to know and hold, but not for average people. And they're used by Big Brother to both acquire and hold power. J. Edgar Hoover had secrets to hide, for example, so he knew well their power. A gay man at the pinnacle of American power, for most of his life, the FBI director knew that in many U.S. states, he and his lover, Clyde Tolson, could be prosecuted and sent to prison for their private, consensual behavior. Yet Hoover and Tolson lived together, and their relationship was an open secret among Washington's cognoscenti. I still remember a beautiful summer day in Ireland, Louise and I sitting in the living room of author Anthony Summers and his wife Robin, as they described to us the shocking details of Hoover's life and abuses of power they'd uncovered writing Official and Confidential, The Secret Life of J. Edgar Hoover. That books like Summers weren't published until after Hoover's death is a striking testimonial to the power of surveillance and the blackmail material it can produce to keep powerful people's secrets hidden even from the world's best investigative journalists. Every politician or reporter of any consequence knew that Hoover had a file on him. They were almost all men back then, and powerful men at that time were far more likely to harbor salacious secrets. Ensuring Hoover an unbroken hold over the FBI from its founding in 1935 to his 1977 death. But Hoover didn't use his massive FBI surveillance powers just to cow politicians and reporters. He was also interested in advancing policies close to his heart. A dedicated white supremacist running an FBI where all meaningful power was held 
in white hands throughout his life. Hoover, or an underling at his behest, famously said F sent FBI surveillance tapes of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. having an extramarital affair to the civil rights leader himself, implying that they'd next go to his wife and the public if he didn't commit suicide. Hoover also spent his entire career downplaying the role of Italian organized crime in the United States because, among other things, mafia godfather Santo Traficante had the goods on his sexual orientation and regularly hosted him in Tolson for gambling junkets. When, in 1961, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy overruled Hoover and began prosecuting the mob, with the number of cases brought shooting up from dozens annually to over 700 a year in the early 1960s, the mafia backlash eventually destroyed the Kennedy dynasty. There's a more modern story of how surveillance and invasions of privacy have impacted American politics. The rise to the presidency of serial rapist, wannabe fascist, and crooked businessman Donald Trump. The biggest big brother of the corporate world, Facebook, had for years been compiling massive troves of personal data on Americans, even Americans without a Facebook account, as any page with a Facebook logo on it can send your browsing activity back to Facebook. And sometime in the mid-2010s, Cambridge Analytica hired a data scientist to put together an app that could suck down that data without Facebook's knowledge. Cambridge once bragged that they ended up with more than 4,000 data points on each of 230 million Americans. The book, The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threatened Us and Our Democracy, by Tom Harmon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, picking up your phone calls. And uh, Robert in Minneapolis. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind today? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, first off, I should say I'm a proud undergraduate of Tom Hartman University. Okay, thank um, you, Robert. It's generally appreciated, but A, it uses up time, and B, it embarrasses me. So, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, it's all good. You don't have to apologize. I just, I, I keep meaning to say that, and because and, I, because I think some people think that they have to say something nice to me about me, and you really don't. It's, it's, it's. No, all, I, I so. wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> so anyhow, Robert, what did you call about? Yeah, you a while back you said that Ronald Reagan put the brakes on critical thinking in schools. Yeah. And I often like to reference that, but I've never gotten a, your source or your how and when. Yeah, on that. I can't. I can't point to one particular moment during the Reagan administration. There, you know, I think Bill Bennett taking over as Secretary of Education and uh, being as vile as he was um, is a piece of it. But really, it was it was in the '80s when this whole idea of charter schools came along the the the, the uh, a, a movement essentially to destroy public education came along reagan was the first president who put somebody in charge of education who was not a fan of public schools um, reagan was also the first president to put a uh, ray donovan a, uh, a corporate lawyer in charge of the labor department who was not a fan of 
of labor, of organized labor. Um, he basically turned the government against itself because he didn't believe in government. And the echo of that and, and the Republican Party adopting that as a worldview spread to, to state after state across the country throughout the 80s and into the 90s. And it, the, 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 re, the result is the destruction of public schools. And now in some communities, as many as half of the, of the public schools are actually charter schools. They're, they're private schools, in many cases for-profit schools, which was the whole, yeah. you know, holy grail during Reagan. So there's not, there's not one particular turning point. But I'll leave you with, uh, this is uh, Ronald Reagan's secretary of education, Bill Bennett. So apropos of your question, Robert, the guy who's in charge of making sure that Americans, uh, that American children are thinking well, are understanding what's real and what's right, and, and having some understanding of science. Um, here is, here is uh, Bill Bennett. But I, I do know that it's true that if you wanted to reduce crime, you could, if that were your sole purpose, you could abort every black baby in this country and your crime rate would go down. That would be an impossible, ridiculous, and morally reprehensible thing to do. But your crime rate would go down. And he's still defending that. He's an old man now, but he's still defending that. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's in my mind, that's where it all started. Robert, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Andrea in Portland, Oregon. Hey, man, Andrea, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Hi. Hi. This morning, I just wanted to remember... Followed um, by the name of Benjamin Linder. 35 years ago this week, he was killed in Nicaragua. He was uh, from Portland and he was a civil engineer. He was helping the Sandinista uh, government at the time uh, bring power to rural areas in Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he ran across a Contra patrol that uh, was funded by uh, Ronald Reagan. the C CIA and an aftermath of the whole Contra yeah. Iran affair. And so he was killed, but he went there with good intentions to help better the people of Nicaragua, as did many uh, folks from the uh, United States and Europe who wanted to support the Sandinista revolution at the time as the government. Did you know Ben, right Andrea? I did not meet Ben. I knew his parents. Uh, uh, his father was, I mean, he was from a progressive family. His father was, you know, part of the Physicians for Social Responsibility. He would proudly declare himself a socialist. Uh, his mother was active with uh, women's peace groups. And um, so... Uh, so in 35 years, Ben Lender, RIP. Right. And... Yeah. Uh, so and but that spirit of trying to reach out to help people, I'm sure that's what's motivating folks who want to go to Ukraine and some uh, of them. Yeah, know. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Andrea, thank and you, so, thank you for, right, for so. yeah, thank you for making that comment and good on Ben Lender, Danny in Mill Valley, California. Hey, Danny, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, thanks for the year. So I'll respond to that. Uh, Elizabeth Warren book. I mean, I'll never read it. She's got it all wrong. I mean, fight is the wrong verb anymore. I know too many liberals still use that like she's doing. I mean, the correct new verb is unite. That's what we should be using. So, but my point is about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Why are Americans behaving as if hypocrisy were a virtue? I mean, 
they they put that little images of the Ukraine on the TV, right? But we're not seeing the images of the Ukraine of the Venezuelan babies that we're killing. The Americans are killing because we won't give them the medicine that Venezuela needs because of the sanctions, right? And so, remember the allegory of the cave, right? That from Plato, yeah. They're just seeing the images on the cave wall, but that's not what's going on outside. So my point is on Ukraine, the American military should stand down. The Ukrainian military should stand down. And, you know, so, yeah, Putin wants money or resources or to change the government. If I'm no, he wants Russia. Ukraine. He wants everything. Well, he wants the whole okay. thing. Okay, fine, and he might do a better job. Americans don't know. I mean, when have Americans proven with our violence that we can help somewhere like Vietnam and Iraq? That's what this Ukrainian deal is. I don't think so, uh, Danny, and I don't think that because we've done stupid or wrong or even criminal things in the past, that means that we shouldn't do the right thing in the future. I think if you want to make a Vietnam analogy, uh, the analogy is Russia is experiencing a Vietnam or an Iraq or an Afghanistan moment. They are walking into a country that does not want them, and they're trying to steal that country's resource and kill its people, which is, you know, what we did in Iraq, and it's what we tried to do in Vietnam and and, and, and Afghanistan, and it typically doesn't work. And so we're on the good side this time. We're, defend, we're helping a democracy defend itself against a country that is trying to steal, to take it, to, to, to just well, steal it's it. It's not a real democracy, Tom. Danny, they had elections. They had, I mean, they, Ukraine is a real democracy. They're, in fact, I would argue in some ways Ukraine's more of a real democracy than the United States. Uh, their political parties well, are not as rigidified. That, that because we don't have a democracy here. And so that's the same old so, game. So again, therefore, we shouldn't do the right thing in the world. This is your argument, Danny. That's a, that's a really thin argument. No, it's nonviolence, Tom. The right thing is we keep going. So, to Danny, violence. you're walking down the street and a guy walks up to you and says, I'm going to punch you in the face. What do you say? Yeah, but that's you not turn us. And run, right? Americans in the face, so we don't need to kill any more people. If a guy walks up to you and says, "I've got a gun, I'm going to shoot you," what do you do? Or I'm going to shoot yeah, your well, family. I don't have a gun, and there's nothing I can do, right? Okay, so somebody's so, coming. My my metaphors are not serving me well here, but I, Danny, I, I'm sorry. I I just don't agree with you. I I think that when you're confronted by by death, destruction, evil, killing, murdering raping that you do something about it you respond to it i you know you and i obviously disagree which is fine but you know just so i'm clear i'll, I'll just leave it right there we'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the tom hartman program and in the meantime don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport never was intended to be it requires you so get out there get active tag you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.